Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast for Wednesday, May 11th. Well, a lot going on. Uh, We've got a leader's debate to review from Northern Ontario. We've got Stephen Lecce in some hot water, but a proper unreserved apology for uh, participating in a quote-unquote slave auction back in 2006 in his fraternity days while at Western. Uh, Obviously, that's not going to be good enough for some of his critics. It's not going to change the mind of people who are going to vote for the uh, progressive conservatives. So we'll see where the story goes over the next few days, but we certainly uh, jumped on it and addressed it today. we got a lot of important issues in our election, um, so hopefully this doesn't push those important issues off the front page. And I'm not saying this one isn't important in its moment. The Leafs with a 4-3 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. We addressed that. It's Toronto Today, and it begins now. Here's what the uh, what the scoop is. Ontario Education Minister Stephen Lecce was participating in a slave auction. Well, a uh, frat house leader at the Sigma Chi frat at Western University. I went to Western, loved it there, didn't participate in the frat business. Uh, they don't do those events anymore because they don't and we shouldn't and we probably shouldn't have. Um, there have been controversies on American college campuses. But I uh, and so I understand I, I get and and actually support the idea of this getting brought up. It's meant to be, it's meant to be, there's meant to be some mudslinging, okay? And political campaigns aren't always friendly and nice. So I understand uh, that the there are NDP members, Laura May Lindo is often on the show, um, there are a couple others as well, that say, well, th- this disqualifies him from being education minister. This disqualifies him from running in his uh, riding, as Dave Bradley just noted, from getting elected again as an MPP. And I don't think so based on the apology. I don't think so. And I don't see this as the as in the same realm of being 19, being at university. I'm not condoning it. I'm not explaining it away. I'm telling you a different place, a different time. And Lecce recognizes that. And we, we drive a lot of good people. You don't have to think Stephen Lecce's a wonderful education minister. You don't have to love everything he's done with public education. You even get an opinion as to whether he's a good or bad person. You get to do that. You even get to decide whether to vote for him or not, um, as, you, as you always do, and as we'll always preserve those rights. But I think the three questions I would ask uh, before I get to the phones is the NDP members <clears throat> should document today do you think Stephen Lecce is a racist? That's a yes or no question. I don't think he is. I don't think he is. I sure couldn't prove he is based on this incident from 2006. Do you think Stephen Lecce supports a return to people owning slaves? There's a good question for the NDP MPPs that are all over him this morning as well. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be. Do you think the Sigma Chi fraternity should be quote unquote canceled? Should we get rid of, rid of fraternities? Even though they don't do this practice anymore. Should we get rid of the Sigma Chi fraternity? Should we ban it from being at Western? If we do that, why would it be? Uh, why would it be allowed to exist in our society now? Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. I know how polarizing Stephen Lecce is. I know there are people that look at him and say that's everything that's wrong with the Conservative Party right now, or the Progressive Conservative Party in Ontario. You get the right to think that. You get the right to have an opinion. You get a right to vote. But those are the three questions I would ask people who want him not to run again, to resign. 
This clearly was timed. They didn't find out about this in the last 24 hours. Someone leaks this to press progress, and I have no problem whatsoever. It is a valid story. I'm not I'm not going to be one of those guys that or men or women that gets on the air. I don't know why this is a story, but here I go on for five minutes about it. I'm not going to do that. He participated in a slave auction during a time as a frat house leader. I feel like there were more symbols of this slave auction than there was when I was in high school and we had a slave auction and I remember it specifically. I remember it in grade 11, I think it might've been in grade 12 also where you go to the cafeteria and it was girls bidding on boys to walk around, carry their books, buy them lunch, sit with them, um, you know, just basically be at their, be a butler in essence, more than a, uh, a slave. Okay. Be out. Al, you're Alfred to Bruce Wayne. There's nothing demeaning, no chains, no handcuffs, no rope, terrible kind of imagery that we think about with the slave trade. But Stephen Lecce doesn't want to bring back the slave trade. And this does not in and of itself make Stephen Lecce a racist. It makes him somebody that at 19 made a stupid decision with a stupid act. It's way too late for that to me in 2006. I'm talking about something in 1988. And we know from what we talk about with television and everything else that we see that times have changed and we're going to have to let people evolve. This didn't happen last year. And if you, by the way, if you made the excuse, Justin Trudeau as a 30 year old or a man in his late twenties who as it's true, dressed up in blackface multiple, multiple occasions, so many so he didn't even want to say how many times he'd done it, then I'm sorry, uh, you got to be consistent. You got to be consistent. I don't love it. I, 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 and, and the apology was absolutely necessary from Lecce today or last night. And he should get in front of a microphone and a camera and say it again today. He should do that. I'll be critical of him if, if he doesn't. Uh, Manuel, you're on uh, 640 Toronto in Toronto today. Thank you for the phone call, Manuel, and for waiting. Go right ahead. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Uh, so, you know what? I'm going to be short. My my thought on this and being part of the black community myself, mm-hmm. I think Stephen Lecce should be ashamed, first of all, because, uh, number one, being a leader of a frat house, is, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty significant, uh, especially when you're in university. Um, and that usually drives the path for your future. Second thing now, uh, participating in what a, what a kind of a slave auction is pretty something you should have thought about because no one, no one, no one can say that slaves did not exist, either in here, in Canada, in the state, and in the Caribbean, and all in the South American. Absolutely. So I think those things should have been disclosed up front, and uh, Doug Ford, at the PM, having defended Stephen Lecce as the, the, the Minister of Education, that means you're an example for all the youth and the, the children that you represent and you work for, this guy should be ashamed to. So do you think he feels it? Like, what if he says, I feel ashamed, that that covers your your basis, right? That covers your base right there. I'm sorry, that's not enough, Greg. Uh, Sorry to say that, but not enough. But I'm I'm asking from from a practical perspective, what would demonstrate that he's ashamed by it? I'd be mortified if I'm him. But it's the kind of thing I wouldn't tell anybody until it was actually revealed. I I don't think you run for office and go. By the way, here's all the things I did. I'm embarrassed about in my life. We we'd have no politicians left. You know that, Manuel. You're a smart guy. You know that. I know, but in 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 the kind of position that he is, I mean nowadays. That's that's how it is, right? That's how it is nowadays. It may not have been 16 years ago. I agree with you. I agree with all the essence of your I mean, points. It's a disgusting event. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I, I mean, he, he could have been an MP, just a straight MP. That's fine. But a minister of education, 
No, and I also I've been I've um going through the pandemic, being defended by the prime the, the Doc Ford mm-hmm. as, a, as as the minister of education. All this guy, I, I trust him. I did. I got and then and then that that's how it is. No. Come on. I got you. I got you. I want to weigh. I, I appreciate you weighing in and listening to the show. Let me get one more on this. Uh, George, you're on 640 Toronto in Toronto today. Go right ahead, George. Listen, I think part of the point that's been made is, is that nowadays, it's in this time, right, it's, it's, it's appalling. It's unacceptable. People are a little bit more cognizant of social issues. But to apologize for something you did as a 19-year-old, whether it was, again, in today's light appalling it's it's getting out of hand that anything that you've done as an adolescent or a young adult you have to answer for in your 40s you're not the same person what you did as a teenager or you're when you're 19 years old does not designate exactly who you are now as an adult working in your professional life it better not like we're we're all we all didn't do what steven lecce did we all didn't you know didn't use racial slurs out of our mouth but but uh, if we are going to push everybody out uh, in society and shine the light on them and say, there's no way now for you to make your way back. There's no way that you can make amends. There's no way for you to be accountable. We're going to lose a lot of good people, men and women, white no. and black, and, Asian, and, everybody. We'll the, lose everybody. Yeah. And the point being is, I mean, not to be, you know, whatever religious or taking you know, out of the Bible, he without sin may cast the first stone. I'm sure if you look in everybody's closet, everybody's done something at one point in their lives that is now socially unacceptable. Yes. Yes. So, and I and I think at the end of the day, and I said it, it's a representative of who you are now, not what you did potentially. Because at the end of the day, when you're a 19 year old, you are basically socially, I, I guess, you know, blind or deaf, basically to you know what's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I got I got your point there. And listen, the Masters takes place every year, every year. We watch the Masters, and it's at a club that would not allow black men to play on the course, and it wouldn't allow women to play on the course. It, we don't take the Masters away from Augusta, and I would make the argument maybe at a certain point we should have. So obviously we've got a society that forgives and evolves and is allowed to move forward. There's times where we're too heavy-handed, and there's times where we let too much go. It's finding that balance that's the key. I'm eager to have our next guest on. Uh, she is a uh, speaker, consultant, and political commentator and joins me now. Sahar Safiq joins me on Toronto Today. Sahar, it's great to have you on. Thanks very much for making the time. Hi, thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Are you, are you a morning person by nature? This isn't that early. We didn't, we didn't want to schedule for your first visit at like 5.32 a.m. I, I can barely speak at any hour, but it's even worse at 5.32. I'm finding the older I get, the more of a morning person I'm becoming. Finally. That's it. A while, but it's it's happening. I think we all think we'll be 70 and we'll sleep until 11 a.m., but those are the people that go to bed at 4.30 p.m. and get up at at 4.30 a.m. I I can't understand it for the life of me. They love those uh, late afternoon buffets. They want want everything to start at 5 o'clock, including hockey and basketball games. They want that. Yeah. So we got a big story here with the Stephen Lecce thing. I was commenting on a couple callers, a, a real divergence of opinions, and that's not surprising. And it, it gets to the point of how much from somebody's past, when they explain it in present terms, um, do we hold against them? It's obviously a little bit of a political hot potato for Stephen Lecce today. What's your thought on it? I mean, I don't know. These things pop up from time to time. I think what he did is very hurtful. And, you know, 2006 was not 
that it was long ago, but it wasn't that long ago. And he wasn't a child. I mean, he was in university and he was a frat leader. He was in a leadership position. Mm. So, you know, that is concerning. That being said, he has apologized. I don't think he's going to resign. I know people will be calling on him to resign. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. And what I don't want is for this election to be centered on a conversation about cancel culture. If this turns into a conversation about policy relating to issues that impact Black Canadians or racialized people, that's one thing. But there's so many important issues in this election, and I just hope that we won't lose sight of that. I know we get stuck on that, and, and it's uh, we're our own worst enemy sometimes, and I'll, I'll call myself out. And, and in the news, there's so many issues from yesterday's debate that didn't get covered. There's so many issues um, that matter so much to the everyday, right, 365, 24-7 lives of people. It's not like this is nothing, but it's, okay, this happened. Let's see what he says about it. If he shrugs his shoulders and says, I don't see what the big deal is, then we got an issue. But that's not what he said yesterday. Yeah, or at least link what happened to policy mm-hmm. as opposed to having discussions about cancel culture, which, you know, I I just don't know how productive that is during an election cycle, personally. Those are my thoughts. Uh, Sahar Safiq, our guest uh, joining us on uh, Toronto Today. Uh, I We had John Tory on. I know you wanted to weigh in on this. This is what he said earlier on Toronto Today about people coming downtown, wants them back in offices. That's the key to success to get the city back on its feet. Here's the mayor. Yes. And, and, you know, we sort of started with uh, the reality of saying to, sorry, my earbud just fell out there if you can't hear me as well. The reality of saying to our people, um, you know, we wanted you to come back to work and we suggested that they should start with a minimum of three days. I'm going to take a really hard look at the future of work because we need to know if there's a fundamental change taking place in terms of people ever coming back five days a week, then we better figure that out. So um, the answer is yes, we need people back as many days as possible because they are the same people that go to the lunch, that go to the shop to get a gift for a friend. And if they're not there, then they're not doing those things. Sahara, I think the debate about work from home, the debate about finding that work-life balance is, uh, I I think there's arguments even in in the same household about this, let alone on the same street and in the same workplace. What's your thought on what the mayor said? I mean, I think that the city is unstoppable. Like, you know, you might not have people coming back five days a week, but you know, we're the fourth largest city in North America. There's 3 million people that live here and there's 6 million people that live in the surrounding areas. We have the most vibrant tech scene. We are the fastest growing tech hub in North America. And I think that even if we don't have people coming in five days a week, the city is going to bounce back and it's going to be the same vibrancy that it was pre-pandemic, it's just going to look different. It's a weird one. I saw yesterday. Now, I think they've had a head start on it, but uh, London, England has 47% of people back in offices pre-pandemic. New York City is 11. Now, I don't want to think that that's, that that's not going to grow. New York's going to catch up and, and grow more exponentially, but that was a really jarring stat. And to your point, I think we want the city. I agree. I, th- I think Toronto will always be Toronto. But I think about it even with my own self, like driving to work every day. Am I going and, and going elsewhere throughout the city like I used to as much? No, I'm not. And that and I'm coming in five days a week. There's people if you come in two days a week, you're not going to stop at a retail store, or get gas or meet somebody as often. I you know, those are things we're going to have to watch closely the next several months. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. You know, you go downtown to the path. I used to work in the downtown core pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the path used to be so bustling. There were so many restaurants and shops and you go there now and they're completely dead. 
and a lot of them have closed down. But again, I think that things are going to bounce back. Like it might not be those same shops. The format of our space might change and the way that we engage with it will change. But I think Toronto is growing so quickly. And despite people not working five times, five days a week mm. in the downtown core, the growth through immigration, through tech workers coming here, I think is going to offset that a little bit. And it's not going to be like Toronto's just a dead zone all the time. I think, you know, we're going to yeah. adjust it. Sahara Safiq, our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto on this Wednesday morning. Um, the debate yesterday, I, I get so frustrated with multiple people on stage. I know we watched the two federal debates uh, last fall and we were tearing our hair out. It's 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 too many voices. There's not a lot of one on one conversation. I don't love doing a lot of huge panels on the radio because I, I like one on one conversations. How did you view it yesterday? And, and are we really hitting enough of those key issues, like we said at the beginning, that, that are that are the most important things we can decide who to vote for by? So first off, I don't think a lot of Ontarians watch the debate. It wasn't widely advertised. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it was an official elections Ontario. No, I don't think it wasn't. An official debate. Like I heard about it yesterday and I watched it on YouTube in the evening um the debate was naturally very focused on northern ontario and you have to remember that the gta is very critical to all of these leaders uh forming office and i think a lot of the issues focused on northern ontario as they should but i don't think as someone who's living in the city that a lot of things that i'm thinking about as a voter were discussed in the level of detail that really apply to me Like we touched on things like housing, we touched on affordability. I I don't think transit was mentioned very much because we were talking about a rural area and focus was on highways. Um, So I think that it was a good first start, but did we really get into the nitty gritty of what people in Toronto are going to be voting on? I don't think so. And I think next week, is going to be far more critical for GTA voters. Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? I, I I think that. And Ontario is so, I know we just lump ourselves all in together. We've done that throughout the pandemic. Like, it's safe to do this. It's not safe to do that. I'm like, yeah, maybe it's not safe in downtown Toronto at Young and Eglinton, but you could go thir- you know, 30 minutes down a dirt road outside of London or Guelph and something would be safe to do. So it's tricky, right? It's a it's a very diverse province. And you know and I know there's a lot of people that look and say, well, we don't want it to be too Toronto-centric. We can't let the GTA dictate how we feel or what we do. And um, I think these are the things we have healthy discussions and arguments about in our province. It's actually a good thing. Yeah, but it's just so interesting how different the issues are. Like, mm-hmm. I had never thought about highway policy until I saw these four people debating about it at such length yesterday. Like, it's not the type of thing that we think of so often as compared to other issues um, happening in the city. So, yeah, you're right. It's important not to be too Toronto-centric. I think it's one of those things where when you used to fly, I used to fly before I was a parent, and you'd hear a baby crying on the plane, and you're like, what is go- <laughs> why can't they leave that baby at home? Why can't that, doesn't that baby know it's on an airplane? And then you have a baby, and you feel like the most <laughs> self-conscious person. You're begging, please don't make a sound. Please don't wreck this flight for hundreds of other, and this is before the pandemic, when we were all a little less stressed out flying. I'll put it that way. Yeah, no, it's important to have that <laughs> But yeah, I do think next week is going to be a lot more relevant to Toronto voters. I hope so. Hopefully we can talk to you again about it, uh, Sahara. Thank you very much for the time this morning. It was great to have you on. 
Thank you so much. Have a great day. You, you got it. Sahar Safiq is speaker, consultant, political commentator, and she joined Toronto today. You may have or may not have seen the story about Loblaws. Um, they have gone up. Uh, their first quarter profit rose nearly 40 percent compared to a year ago. You might make the case. Yeah, but Greg, the pandemic's on. So, of course, it's less of a pandemic now. Many feel like we're out of the pandemic, right out of the state of emergency in Toronto. But that you would make the wrong point, I think, because people need to eat and they were eating at home. You don't just start eating less. If anything, all the numbers showed we were eating more and you're going out to restaurants less and you're traveling less and you're going over to friends houses less. All of that was true a year ago at this time. We asked Jagmeet Singh about this on the show yesterday and the federal NDP leader said grocery stores are clearly you, you use the G word gouging Canadians. Uh, these corporate gr grocery stores are actually increasing their prices beyond what the increased costs are just to make extra profit. And that's what we found. Uh, if they're increasing prices to offset increased costs, they would have the same level of profit. But we're seeing a significant increase in their profits. And so that doesn't add up if they're saying that it costs more to ship things and to produce or to provide the, the products in, in their stores, then why are they making huge profits? You know, so it shows clearly they're just gouging Canadians at this difficult time. Daniel Chai is a law and tech professor at the University of Toronto, also the editor of consumerrights.ca, and he's kind enough to join the show to comment on not just Jugmeet Singh's comments, uh, but uh, but exactly what we're dealing with at the grocery store right now. Daniel, thanks a lot for making the time and uh, letting us reach out and, and returning in, in kind. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. When uh, Jugmeet Singh says that, to me, he's the most prominent, certainly political uh, person to say this so far, that this isn't by accident. They're, by design, prices are higher. And though some costs are higher, he believes grocery stores have made it their, uh, you know, their right uh, to charge whatever they feel like, knowing they've kind of got a captive audience. We all need to eat. Well, the reality is every time there's a lockdown, and we have a number of them over the last two years, people get into a hoarding behavior. So if you look at uh, sales, sales go up. And uh, in some cases, there's been criticism in the, in the sense that uh, big box stores have been able to get the, the lion's share of uh, business because small retailers due to space uh, restrictions and everything else with COVID, um, you could only go to a Costco or a Loblaws because they had the space to accommodate uh, all those people. So mm -hmm. the reality is, you know, yeah, profits have gone up. But that's a function of lockdowns and, and quarantine and the fact people are hoarding. I still have uh, rolls of toilet paper that I haven't used, you know, because people are out there hoarding. You're, you're that guy, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but yeah. But nobody's, uh, but I'm, I'm sure, yeah, you've got it well hidden uh, in the uh, Chai household. So nobody's, but nobody's, nobody opens a closet door or whatever. And you have a curb enthusiasm moment and, see, and people see uh, 28 uh, boxes of toilet paper. I think you're safe for that. So, I mean, so I think, yeah, and that's the, that's the thing here. I think uh, Mr. Singh kind of misses the point that uh, the people are out there and their behaviors are driven by the fact that we've been in this pandemic for two years. There's, there's hoarding. Uh, that was occurring with these lockdowns. Now things are going to start normalizing. Uh, but the other factor is uh, prices are also being driven by the suppliers. It's not mm -hmm. like uh, you necessarily have uh, retailers colluding together. Uh, in, in my background, my family's been in a small grocery retail C-store business for, for over 50 years. It's, you know, I grew up in the back of a store. And what I can say is, you know, we're at that level, you're just you don't have any way to negotiate with uh, Frito-Lay or Pepsi or Coke. You simply just pass the price down to the consumer. 
Um, for the bigger box stores, they we just saw with Loblaws, they had a big dispute with uh, Frito-Lay. Ultimately, they negotiated uh, a settlement. But the reality is, um, when you're with uh, in competitive environment with other uh, retailers and you're fighting with them for market share, you know you don't have the luxury of of necessarily colluding with one another. But the smaller stores, I wonder if they've uh, do we have it wrong that they have been able to thrive? They have been able to be um, you know uh, progressively stronger with with customer loyalty these last couple of years. Like we have a hardware store around the corner. I always like going there. I know the people there. I mean, if I need a bolt or a or a, you know a a, a bag a lawn seat. I know I've got people that will help me a little bit easier than to go to Home Depot or Lowe's. I love those places too, but there is that sense of familiarity and loyalty to the the smaller independent places. So that's one of the interesting things. If you look at uh, the financials of uh, retailers like uh, Parkland, Parkland has the the largest number of uh, gas stations and C stores across Canada, Mm -hmm. as well as Couchetard. Uh, they've done exceptionally well because uh, it comes down to pandemic behaviors. Consumer behaviors were, were changed. People started going into the local grocery stores to start hoarding because they didn't want to wait in lineups. So it was easier to go to your local gas station and pick up products, even though the markup is uh, more expensive um, and the prices are more expensive. So that's a function of just consumer behavior. It's not because the retailers are trying to gouge customers in any way. They're just simply pricing it at the suggested retail markups. So uh, it's a misnomer to say that there's some kind of, uh, you know, conspiracy going on mm. at the small retail level. Food seems to be the hardest thing that a government could regulate. And I think a lot of people roll their eyes and they, they you know, maybe for a change, agree with everything I'm saying because we try and do it with our cable bill. We try and do it with our phone bill. We want to tax. It's a big talking point uh, for every politician to say, we want to tax the big guys. We want to, we want to hit them hard, hit them in the wallet. They employ a lot of people, but I would make the case that grocery stores are not, uh, you know, they're not um, a telecom company and they are not. I think it's the hardest thing to do to for a, for to tell a grocery store this is what you must charge for oranges. This is what you must charge for steak. That's never going to happen. Well, that's why we have a free market. That's why we yeah. have competition. Uh, you know, if the other guy is uh, charging less than you, uh, guess what? People are going to start shopping there. Uh, so what we're finding is, you know, from a, even uh, you know, even though gas prices are really high uh, and everything else, uh, the fact that you're a penny cheaper, people are going to start going to the uh, gas station down the street. So it's the same thing with food and produce. So there's that competitive free market pressure that's still going to force people to uh, shop and get the best deals. And retailers have to be aware of that because then they start losing market share. So is there ever, I mean, I know the House of Commons went three years ago and they brought the grocery, the, the big names, the Weston family, et cetera, et cetera. And they had uh, the, the, uh, an industry committee open hearings about collusion and we think about that with gas prices and and we have collusion in other industries when it happens with say Ticketmaster or it happens in professional sports and we're like well collusion seems like a real dirty word but in essence it is a little bit of a shell game that the big companies play with each other isn't it it certainly is with the fuel companies incredibly hard to prove this is the biggest issue is uh, when it comes to the big c word collusion or conspiracy uh, you have to prove a level of intent because there's usually criminal um, conviction potential with it. So you could face uh, up to 14 years in jail if you violate the Competition Act when it comes to co- collusion. Uh, and we had a situation like that not too long ago with uh, bread price fixing. 
Um, in fact, uh, Loblaws turned out to be a, a whistleblower. Uh, they had insiders from Loblaws that went and said, yeah, we're actually working with uh, other retailers. Uh, it implicated Sobeys, um, uh, Loblaws, Metro, uh, some of the biggest chains in Canada yeah. when it came to, to price fixing. But the reality is, to prove it, you need to either have insiders blow the whistle or you actually have to have the data. BC's tried to do this as well when it comes to pri uh, alleged price fixing when it comes to uh, gas prices. The BC Utilities Commission hasn't been able to prove it. Yeah. They said uh, we need we need to get data from every single gas station in, in, in the province to figure this out. And it's a huge cost and it's, it's really hard to prove. It's really hard to prove. There's a lot of moving targets. Uh, Daniel Chai uh, edits consumerrights.ca. Daniel, let's chat again. Thanks for making the time for our, our audience today. Okay, thank you so much. You got it. The challenge for us really is with the big parties and people that I've seen with my own eyes carrying like three, two, fours, you know, in their arms uh, <laughs> into the park and, and having something much more than a beer. Um, and the other challenge is, you know, the, the motion put forward, I'm sure in good faith, uh, is very prescriptive. It says, for example, you can have an alcoholic beverage that has 15% alcohol by volume mm -hmm. or less. Well, are we going to have people going around inspecting what people are drinking? So the devil, as usual with these kinds of things, is in the details. I think the public really want us to get this right if we make a change because they know that it's important to their well-being when they're in the park with their kids that you know they're not be excessive drinking and so uh, you know th this is something that i think uh, i am favorably disposed to i've said that but you have to do it right thanks for listening to the toronto today podcast back with a live show tomorrow on thursday morning may the 12th and we'll do that between 5 30 and 9 in the morning you can hear us on the radio player canada app or at 640 toronto.com and thank you for listening to today's show